Alert. Red alert. Red alert. You crossed my line of debt. You haven't dismantled your MX stockpile. Pakistan is threatening my border. That's it, Buster. No more military aid. Nuke them. Get them before they get you. Another quality home game from Butler Brothers. It goes without saying that everything changed in August of 1945 when the first atom bombs were dropped in Japan ending World War II and introducing the world to the most destructive force man has ever known. We had officially reached the atomic age and this fact would radiate, pun intended, into every facet of our lives including our politics and pop culture. Nukes would play a major role thrilling and horrifying moviegoers throughout the back half of the 20th century in many ways echoing the real life threat they posed throughout the Cold War. But then the Cold War ended changing the way both on how we view nukes as an existential threat and how movies repurpose them for entertainment. On today's explosive episode of Slums of Film History, we'll discuss the history of nuclear weapons in cinema. So be sure to duck, cover, and kiss your ass goodbye because we're about to launch nukes. Did, 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 did you see the frightened ones? Did, 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 did you hear the falling bombs? The flames are all long gone, but the pain lingers on. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from amputation, masturbation, menstruation, and castration. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, what we got to talk about before we start the episode? What we got going on? I want to talk about your trip to L.A.? Oh, that's right, yeah. Let's trip talk about number that. two to L.A.? Yeah, it's my second time out there. Very different than the first trip. Very, very different than the first trip. So, quick recap of the first trip. You were still living in Venice. I went out, we did some tourist stuff, went to the observatory, as we talked about in the last yeah. episode. We did around. beach stuff. Beach stuff. We did beachy things. Yeah, yeah, because you live next to the beach. But now that you live in West Hollywood, we had a bunch of different stuff planned out. And we did more tourist stuff, but it was definitely... It was movie tourism yeah, things. Yeah, this yeah. was a lot of fun. So you signed us up for like a Hollywood murder tour. Yes. So tell us about that a little bit. I love true crime. So this was kind of... It did have kind of like a Hollywood spin. There was some some movies uh, mentioned, but it was basically <laughs> just like we walked around downtown and we saw where people got killed. 
It was yeah. great. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. It was a good time. It you was stop a- off at bars too, which is nice. So, yeah. and then I peed on the street. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I you peed. did. Yeah, yeah. in an alleyway. So you got the full LA feel. It was very LA of me. Yeah, no, it was great. And then before I left, we went to a double feature of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and Switchblade Sisters at the New Beverly. Yeah, so that's Quentin Tarantino's theater. That was great. Oh, that was such a nice way yeah. to end the day of... How many bottles of champagne did we drink that day? Three. Three, yeah. That was a great day. Yeah, it was, it was a really wonderful. Day. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of fun. Great movies. So so it was a great trip, and it was very Hollywood-centric. That's that, but... Um, there were no nukes. And there were no nukes. There were no nukes. But you'll get plenty of them in this episode. And starting off this episode... This episode's kind of like a sister episode to Toxic Waste, if you remember that one back in, way back in season two, where they start at the same point of the atomic age, the atomic bombs that are dropped, and then veer off in very different directions cinematically, hmm. and, and how these topics are used, but they, they start in the same place, so I'll begin there. So as I said in my intro, we were introduced to the atomic age in August of 1945 with the bombing of Japan, both at Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Actually, that's not 100% true. The nuclear age actually started a few months earlier during the Trinity tests in the Los Alamos desert when the first nuclear bomb was tested as part of the Manhattan Project. Incidentally, it was also the first time a nuke was ever shown on film. It was also right after this test that Robert Oppenheimer, who was considered one of the fathers of the atomic bomb, and who was also the head of the Los Alamos Laboratory during that time, this was the time that he said that famous speech, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Hmm. We knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. You know that I know nothing about any of this. That I paid <laughs> I, I'm, I'm attention that. to none of this in high school. No, I know, I know nothing. I know about Oppenheimer because they're making a movie about him. We'll talk about that. Robert Oppenheimer is going to come up a few times in this episode, as you can imagine. But that quote, I think, sums this up perfectly in that this was such a destructive force, the world had never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. So moving on, before I start, there's two big things. One, I'm not talking about post-apocalyptic movies, where the event already happened, like Mad Max or something, where it's a post-apocalyptic world, could have been because of nukes or whatever. I'm talking about movies and trying to narrow my focus to films that have like a nuke explosion in them or leading up to one or something like that. It's part of the plot, and if it's featured on screen, those are the ones I'm trying to focus on. And then the next thing is, as I'm watching all these movies, I realize that there's basically three types of nukes in movies, or at least plots that have nukes in movies. Okay. And it's either one, nukes are the catalyst for the plot, like the nukes are there to send the rest of the plot in motion, be it nuclear war, and now the protagonists have to live in a post-apocalyptic world. You know, there's a world before it happens. this happens, and then, right. but it kickstarts the plot. You'll see what I'm talking about as I go in. Um, the second one's a race against time, where the plot is hinged on getting away from a blast or preventing it. Mm-hmm. And then the third, and this is rarer, but you'll see my examples, nukes save the day. They're used to save everybody. Oh. Yeah, and all of these fall into one of those categories. It's really interesting. Hmm. Oh, and one more thing. I'm only going to focus on narrative films. 
there's a shit ton of nuke documentaries out there. Oh, sure, some sure, are sure. good, some are not so good, but there's just too many. And so I'd rather just talk about the narrative films. I get that. So let's get going. The first one I want to talk about, one that I could find that deals with nukes, is a film called The Beginning or the End, and that's from 1947, two years after the bomb was dropped. Mm-hmm. And it's a docudrama about the development of the atomic bomb in World War II. So this is the first docudrama about Robert Oppenheimer and the Trinity tests and how it led from development to testing to use in the war. And some interesting facts about this. So the idea for this film was originated very soon after the bombs were dropped and it was developed by actress Donna Reed and her high school science teacher. They came up with the idea to make this movie. Donna Reed from the show Donna Reed? I think so. Hmm. Yeah. I watched that not too long ago, an episode of it. That show is unwatchable. <laughs> is yeah. it really, really bad? Probably should have some nukes in there, maybe yeah. liven things up a Real little bit. Real boring. Yeah. So I watched a little bit of this movie, and it reminds me a lot of Pearl Harbor, like the Michael Bay one, and mm-hmm. that there's a lot of like relationship drama intermixed with oh, like God, this stuff. I hate so that. it's like a lot of melodrama. And matter of fact, when it was released, that was one of the complaints about the movie. Time magazine said, even as entertainment, the picture seldom rises above cheery imbecility. Mm-hmm. Harsh. Yeah, I hate it when the movies do that. And this film did poorly in the box office, too. It resulted in the loss of about like a million and a half or what would be 22 million today. Yeah, it's a lot of money back then. Yeah. So at this point, it seems Hollywood, looking at this failure, probably decided to put the brakes on melodramatic and realistic nuclear stories for a little bit. Also tie that into the fact by 1940, the Russians also had a nuclear bomb. Mm. So it probably made things a little too real, you know, to talk about in a straightforward manner. And clearly it didn't make money at the box office. So I think movie makers decided to go more of a science fiction route to approach this topic. And you see a lot of that in the early 50s. For example, the first one I want to talk about is Invasion USA from 1951. And this movie is about the invasion of the United States from some unnamed communist country. It's not really a nuke movie so much. It's more of like communists have taken over. Fun fact. It's a mystery science theater staple. It's pretty shitty. My next movie is a movie from 1952 called Captive Women, which sounds pretty promising. And it's about a society way in the future, long after a nuclear holocaust. So it deals with nukes that already happened, but it's really not a nuke movie. It's just more of a post-apocalyptic film. Mm -hmm. So these films were kind of the first examples. These were the first ones that dealt with the nuclear threat in a sci-fi way. But in my opinion, they're just setting the stage for the real stars of 50s sci-fi, which are the Atomic Monsters. Mm, yes. So starting with Beast from 20,000 Fathoms from 1953, in the movie, atomic testing in the Arctic revives a gigantic prehistoric reptile, which goes to New York and fucks shit up, as we discussed in Toxic Waste. I've seen this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my next movie, which I mentioned before, but I had to talk about it here, is Gojira. Or Gojira. From 1954. <laughs> So I talk about this at length in Toxic Waste, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it here. Just to recap real quick. So there was this nuclear testing in the Bikini Atolls and Godzilla, whatever kind of creature he was, was there living underwater. And then, of course, he gets mutated, turns fucking huge and then goes and fucks shit up. Like I said before, the first Godzilla movie took itself really seriously. Yes, it was a, a huge monster going around and fucking shit up, but it also had a very serious anti-nuclear message and it was a very solemn film overall. Mm-hmm. And it was really trying to tackle this subject in a serious, mature way. Now, granted, as I said before, the the more films that were produced in this series, the hokier it got, it became more children's fair and got so fucking ridiculous where it was just big monsters fighting other big monsters. But this film in particular was really trying to say something under the guise of being a big, scary monster movie. Right, right. But the next movie I want to talk about, though, is Them 
from 1954. Same year. Favorites of all time. And the plot of that one is atomic weapons testing in New Mexico spawns a race of giant ants that threaten to spread throughout Earth. This was supposedly Warner Brothers' highest grossing movie that year. And of course, it's become regarded as one of the best sci-fi movies of the 50s. Yeah. And surprisingly, at the time, well-reviewed, well-respected. Like, you always think about these monster movies and big bug movies and everything (laughs) like that as being kind of like trash cinema back then. But this was very well-received. Right. It's an interesting point at the time, too. And I'll talk about this as we go on. Nuclear weapons at the time, nukes were new, but were also misunderstood, like the idea of long-term radiation exposure and everything. So that's why it seemed plausible that if you nuke certain things or if they get exposed to it, they would mutate and grow like ants or Mm -hmm. Godzilla or whatever other critters that would come up and raise havoc because it was really misunderstood, especially from the common man, what the fallout Unintended would be from nuclear testing. Right. It is a little odd that they were like, what it really does is make things a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. That's a little, that's a, that's a weird jump, you know? It is a weird jump. It's very strange. But yeah, that was the trend. And I mean, yeah. I get mutation, but right. just making something that's very small, very big, that's a little odd. That's a little yeah. odd and a little far fetched, but it sold tickets. Which leads me to my next example because it kind of switches it up. My next example that came out the same year as them is called The Atomic Kid, starring Mickey Rooney. Wow. Yeah. It's not a monster movie, but rather a film about a young man who gets exposed to radiation at a nuclear testing range and then gets superpowers. Mm, so, of course. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So, it's like one of the first films that nuclear testing gets you superpowers. Well, that I believe. Yeah. I believe the superpowers just growing in scale for some reason is it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that seems Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's far fetched. But I'll talk about the plot of this film a little bit. So the film is about a uranium prospector, Blix Waterby. That's Mickey Rooney. Mm-hmm. And he's in the desert. He's like eating a sandwich or whatever. And he wanders into an active atomic bomb test site, as one can do. Whoops. And it's one of those fake towns, you know, like a fake house that's got like the fake family in it and everything. Yeah. But he gets nuked, he gets exposed to radiation, and he somehow survives. And then in the process of gaining special powers, he's then recruited for uh, his powers by the FBI to break up a spy ring. Hmm. Okay, that's Lots different. Of, yeah, yeah, it just kind of goes out of left field there. And after helping to capture the spy ring, he somehow loses his powers again, and he gets the girl. And then at the very end, they're driving along the side of the road, and they stop somewhere and think it's a restaurant. It's another nuclear test building. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, let's get out of here. And then they speed away real fast or whatever. Because, you know, any, at any given time, you're going <laughs> to drive down the road and end up at a nuclear test Right, uh, you don't facility. just run into one. You would run into two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, and they're right on the, the side of the road. I yeah. don't know if you knew that. So that's a, a real, real problem in the 50s, apparently. It isn't possible, but he did it. Live through an atomic explosion to bring you the funniest love and laugh feast you can imagine. Starring that atomic kid himself, Mickey Rooney. And his pal, Robert Strauss, who loves him more than anything in the world, except money or a pretty girl. And Elaine Davis is the girl pretty enough to turn smarter men's heads. When you see Mickey Rooney... Explode with hilarity as the Atomic Kid. You'll hit the jackpot in thrills and laughs. All right, so moving on, the 50s would see a few more examples of the mutated monster movie, like It Came From Beneath the Sea from 1955, about bomb testing in the South Pacific and a giant octopus gets 
bigger and goes to San Francisco and fucks shit up. So there were still examples of that floating around the 50s, but things really started to change at this point in the late 50s with On the Beach from 1959. I know all about this one. Oh, do you? You Mm -hmm. want to talk about it? Yeah, well, so I always joke about how I never paid any attention to anything in high school, but I was always a reader. And so when they would put out those book lists of books that nobody ever read, I actually read all the books, minus the Red Badge of Courage. That one I couldn't get through. (laughs) But On the Beach was on my, I don't know, 11th grade reading list. And of course, it's all about depression. And so I loved it (laughs) because you know how I am. I love it when everybody dies at the end. I like trauma, desperation, and depression. Those are really the things that, that lift me up. So On the Beach is all of those things. Not everybody dies at the end, but I mean, they... They do, you just don't see it. Yeah, yeah. I'll go in the plot a little bit yeah. for it, so at least for the film. Which the film is an all-star cast. Yes, it yeah. is. It's got Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. and Anthony Perkins. A non-dancing Fred Astaire. Yeah, yeah, in a dramatic role. And the plot of the movie is there are these naval officers. They're stationed in Australia. The nuclear war has already happened. The world's devastated. Australia is like the last refuge where... Just waiting. Just waiting for the radioactive cloud to come through. They get like a radio signal from San Francisco that they pick up. So the naval crew gets in a sub. They go out and check it out. Turns out, first of all, there's nobody there. Everyone's dead. Second of all, it's just like a Coke bottle was leaning on it, hitting these random signals. And so they figured that nobody was sending the signal and they basically go back to Australia. And then essentially everybody gets sick and and dies. Waiting to die. Yeah, yeah. And the the cloud comes there and they all die. Oh, it's great. It's super, super bleak. I mean, especially in 1950s. I mean, it's bleak as shit. Yeah, I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Love the book. Love the movie. Yeah. Well, you're going to love some of my examples coming up. You're going to (laughs) absolutely love some of these. Yeah, there's no nuke explosion in it. Again, it's already happened but just the slow demise of the human race that follows is really this was the first really great example of it and this movie was well received including fred astaire in a mm-hmm. dramatic role but the movie didn't make money Mm-mm. it lost money no nobody wants to go see that no but me i'm the target for that and i'm <laughs> gonna buy one ticket to it so yeah. it's not gonna make any money for me no 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 but moving on that same year was another movie that came out called the world the flesh and the devil and that film stars Harry Belafonte at the peak of his film career. Huh. And it's Never about heard a, of it. Yeah, it's about this miner, and he was trapped in a cave-in. And while he was down there, mankind was wiped out by a nuclear holocaust. Oops. When he gets out, he starts looking for other survivors. He finds two other, one a man and one a woman. Kind of a weird love triangle thing happens, and mm. that's basically it. It's not as bleak as the other movie, but it does deal with isolation in the world after a nuclear explosion. So mm-hmm. It also didn't, didn't do great business either, so there you go. But, you know, I think there's a reason why this type of film would stick around for the 60s a little bit longer and would get progressively darker. The event I'm talking about was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. The film sort of reflected that because technically, I think that's the closest we've ever gotten to a nuclear exchange with Russia. Mm-hmm. And just to give a brief explanation of what that was about, basically, the crisis in a, in a nutshell, we had a spy plane. We looked at Cuba. Russia was putting nukes on Cuba. We were like, fuck that. So we put an embargo around the island and that pissed off Russia and they got mad at us and we got mad at them and it became this big stalemate that we thought we were going to nuke each other over. We also had a bad history with Cuba because I think the Bay of Pigs and some other shit. So yeah, it was a very bad deal. Finally, I think cooler heads prevailed. Everyone calmed the fuck down and nuclear crisis was averted. But at that time, it was like, holy shit, 
like I'm this trying is real. to pay attention, but um, <laughs> having flashbacks from high school. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, but immediately followed this came a bunch of movies ab- about this type of incident. First one I want to talk about is Failsafe from 1964. That was a Cold War thriller directed by Sidney Lumet. Lumet is it Lumet or mm-hmm. Lumet? Lumet. Well, we'll just go with that. Yeah, I'm French. That's based on 1962 novel of the same name, and the film follows a crisis caused by uh, a critical error that sends a group of U.S. bombers to destroy Moscow. Mm-hmm. It's like a fuck up, like oops. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, this is one of those race against time movies where they're trying to stop mm-hmm. these bombers from bombing because they realize they made a mistake. Right, right. But they end up getting nuked at the end, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. So you don't see what happens afterward, which reminds me a lot of my next movie, Doctor Strange Love, or How I yes. Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I Stanley love that Kubrick's movie. classic. And it's basically the same basic plot point mm-hmm. where there's a mistake, but this one takes the concept of starting a nuclear war by accident and looks at it through a satirical lens. Yeah, I was going to say, this is maybe the first comedy that we're talking about today. Yeah, it's still pretty hilarious. I probably didn't get half the jokes because, no. you know, they're about something I didn't pay attention to, but it's still a really funny movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's... an interesting choice for Kubrick, you know, who I don't think had done a comedy before that. No. Surprisingly very good at it. Yeah, very and good at especially comedy. not a dark comedy of this sort. Yeah. So it was sort of a first all across the board, you know, taking the subject matter and finding satire in it. Because, I mean, basically, and he was smart with it, he noticed the absurdity of the whole situation. Yeah. But Kubrick had a ringer with Peter Sellers, who played three roles in the movie. Right. He played the aforementioned Dr. Strangelove and other people. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> who else he played. But, I mean, it, he was ridiculous and really made that movie. So did Slim Pickens in the, probably the most famous scene of the whole movie where he's on the bomb run mm-hmm. and it, the bomb is lodged. So he gets on it to dislodge it and then basically rides it down he rides it. until the it's end. Great. And then, of course, it blows up. And that's how that movie ends pretty much the same way with yeah. nuclear devastation. Everything goes. It's a great ending. So it's a great ending, bleak, but a, a great movie. Yeah. Dr. Strangelove. Or how I learned to stop worrying and... Love the bomb. A moving picture. So I'm going to move away from the 50s and 60s because there's really not a hell of a lot we're talking about, in my opinion. And even the 70s, when I was looking at research for these movies, things like Planet of the Apes, which obviously is about apes that took over the world from 1968, that was post-apocalyptic as it turned out. Like mm-hmm. That was a big plot spot. There's no nukes in that. A Boy and His Dog from 1975, starring Don Johnson. That just popped it, up again for some reason. I can't remember why. I've never seen it. I've watched some of it just for this show. There's no nukes in that. That's a post-apocalyptic world, but it's very, very weird and very 70s and rapey and strange. <sighs> Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. You might dig it. And then Damnation Alley, which is from 77, also a post-apocalyptic world. They're driving around in armored vehicles, but the war's already happened. And then, of course, Mad Max from 1979, also post-apocalyptic. That series gets more apocalyptic as it goes along. Right. But these are all films that took place after the apocalypse, and it's just in a different world. Right. Don't meet your criteria. But then came the 80s, and the nuke narrative really got bumped up a notch. You know, it's the Reagan era. Mm Mm-hmm. Gorbachev, there's increasing rhetoric against the Soviet Union and mm-hmm. in, in the real world. Plus, there's the whole Star Wars defense initiative. You know, we're going to have nukes in space. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That whole thing. And so uh, nuclear tensions were really starting to elevate in the early 80s. And the movies would definitely reflect that. And the first one I want to talk about is a TV show, though, called Special Bolton. It was a TV movie from 1983. You ever heard of this? No, but I was three, so <laughs> yeah, I missed this whole uh, point in history. Mm-hmm. So I was 11, but I remember catching this on TV. So I'll tell you about what the movie's about and then give you my story about it. It's from 
from 1983. It's an American made-for-TV film. And in this movie, a terrorist group brings a homemade atomic bomb aboard a tugboat in the harbor of South Carolina in order to blackmail the U.S. government into disabling its nuclear weapons. The incident is caught on live TV. And the movie simulates a series of live news broadcasts on the fictional RBS network. It's a fake network, of course. And that's the plot of the movie. The newscasters break in and out. And so it looks like a real special bulletin. They play it up as though it's a real newscast. Oh, interesting. I remember seeing this when it was first televised. They just caught it halfway through. And I was like, what's RBS? Is this a new station? I've never seen this station before. I thought it was real mm-hmm. you know, at the time because I was a dumb kid. And it looked, it was filmed just like a news broadcast. Huh. Fun fact on this, when this was aired, apparently there were like 2,000 calls from alarm viewers in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. This is like the War of the Worlds. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of neat. Yeah, it had a little War of the Worlds thing. That's cool. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about, and you'll see more of these, of this theme, is a movie called Testament, also from 1983. Mm -hmm. This film tells the story of how one small suburban town near San Francisco Bay Area slowly falls apart after a nuclear war destroys all of outside civilization. So you don't really see the nuke explosion, but you see the bright light of the nuke. And Mm -hmm. then it's one of those movies where afterward, everything just starts going to shit. Mm -hmm. You know, kids start dying because of radiation poisoning. There's riots. They run out of food. I love it. It's nothing but just sad human drama. This sounds good. Yeah, it was originally a a TV movie, but then they released it in theaters. I don't know how well it did. I can't find much on it, but it maybe did moderate business. What's it called? Testament? Yeah, Testament. But moving on. Fuck. Can't wait to talk about this one. My next movie is called The Day After, and I know you've heard of this one before. The Day After. You were too young for this, but this is another one I watched on TV. It was widely hyped at the time. There was a lot of commercials for it. It was like a big TV movie event. We've talked about this in an episode. Yeah. Because you told me it traumatized you. It did. I mean, I'm going to talk about that again. Oh, good. First of all, I'll talk about the plot of the day after. So it's a TV movie. It's like three or four hour TV movie. The film presents a fictional war between NATO forces and Warsaw Pact over Germany that escalates into a full-scale nuclear war between the U.S. and Soviet Union. The movie takes place in middle America, specifically cities in Kansas and Missouri, at several family farms near where those Minutemen missile silos are. The cast includes Joe Beth Williams, Steve Gutenberg, Jason mm-hmm. Robards, and yeah. John Lithgow, who I feel shows up in a bunch of new type of movies. Yeah, we definitely talked about this one. This movie first aired on November 20th, 1983. It's been shown since then. I think more than 100 million people and nearly like 39 million households watched this. Like it was, it was like huge. huge. Yeah. yeah. There was warnings before of that it was graphic and disturbing, and it doesn't disappoint. Like this movie's fucked up. Yeah. But I'm going to talk about the nuke blast because they spare no expense showing the nukes go off. I think they actually got like ILM or some big effects company to come and do the effects and they don't disappoint. I mean, it just shows mass destruction, fire and flames everywhere. People getting totally obliterated. You, you'll fucking love it. It just goes on and on. So they, they really spent a lot of money showing uh, what nukes can do. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was super impressive. Uh, certainly impressive for anything that was shown on TV. And then afterward, you know, they showed the people living in the rubble and trying to get by and trying to live in this post-apocalyptic world. But all the main characters start getting sick and they start like slowly dying from like cancer and all this other shit. It's really bleak and depressing. <laughs> Slate's eyes are really lighting oh, up here. Great. Like, and it's Slate, long? That's like three hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. 
Fun fact on this movie. a lot of movies to watch when I get home. Yeah, you do. But fun fact, when Reagan saw this movie, he wrote in his diary that the film was very effective and left me greatly depressed. That it changed his mind with the current prevailing policy on nuclear war. So in 1987, Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet premier, signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which resulted in the banning and reducing of their nuclear arsenal. Wow, this could be in my episode called The Movies Made Me Do It, except I never wrote that episode. <laughs> so one um, day, if it ever happens, you can. But this film changed policy hmm. or helped change policy. So that's a good thing about it and gave you something to watch. Something to watch. So my next movie that I'm going to talk about along the same lines fucking makes the day after, you know, look like Muppet Babies. Man. Oh, good. This movie is called Threads from 1984. And it's also a TV movie made for BBC, and it's about the effects of a nuclear holocaust on a working-class city in Sheffield, England, and the eventual long-term effects of nuclear war and civilization. So this one, same kind of plot. Nuclear war happens. You see the the blast, slightly less high-tech as day after, but certainly effective. And then the long-term effects. So like the day after, it kind of starts in the same place, but it's different in that the day after, like in the narrative, it takes place maybe a weeks or months after the nuclear blast like a little bit before and then after whereas threads it does that same thing and then like jumps several months to 10 years after the nuclear war Mm -hmm. the basic plot it kind of follows this one woman right after the nukes are dropped and like this place is just like it's all just devastated and people are living in rubble and eating dead rats and digging through trash and Mm. killing each other people walking around with their dead babies it's fucked up Mm. and then this woman, she's pregnant, and so then she has a kid in this post-apocalyptic world, and then she's raising her kid, and then they jump 10 years into the future from that point, and now the kid's like 10 years old or whatever, and then the mom gets sick, dies from cancer, and then after that, the kid ends up getting raped, and then she's pregnant. Wow. And then the ending, and I'm going to give you the ending of it, the ending is her giving birth, and you never see the baby, but somebody wraps it up, gives it to her, and she kind of looks at it in horror, and that's how it ends. Uh-huh. So it's, it's like, Rosemary's Baby. It's like a bad baby yeah, episode. It's, like, a, it's yeah. like it's the most like slate ending of a movie oh, ever. That, sounds good. Yeah, Threads is fucked up. It sounds good. Yeah. Fun fact from this movie, the director of Threads would go on to make another disaster movie, The Bodyguard, 1993. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, he would go on to do more mainstream yeah. fare and The Bodyguard being one of them. Yeah, The Bodyguard sucks. Unfortunately. So. It's too bad, but it, <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. So clearly the mid-80s and our relationship with the Soviet Union and the politics of the time, I think, influenced movies like Threads and Day After and Testament. But something else was happening in the middle of that, too, where this nuke theme was getting brought into more mainstream fare. The first example I want to give you is the movie War Games from 1983. Do you remember this movie? Mm-mm. I mentioned this in Bad Computers episode, and it stars a pre-Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick, Dabney Coleman, and Ali Sheedy. Mm. And basically, it's a young hacker kid, played by Matthew Broderick, and he, you know, hacks into his school computer and changes grades. And it's very Ferris Bueller. Very about, Ferris yeah. Bueller. Yeah, that's right, because I think he does that in that movie as well. But anyway, he ends up, through circumstances, breaks into the United States military supercomputer that's programmed to control all the nukes and starts fucking with that and thinking that he's playing a game. 
but actually he's about to set up World War Three yeah. with this super computer. And so then it becomes a race against time to try to prevent that computer from starting the war because the computer, by how he's fucking with it, thinks that it needs to launch I nukes. And so yeah. they've got to figure out a way to stop it. Spoiler, they do. Uh, the world doesn't get nuked. doesn't end the same way as Strange Love. They stop uh-huh. it. Fun facts on war games. So the movie made $125 million on a $12 million budget. Mm-hmm. So it was a hit. Yeah. It made a lot of money. That wasn't all for 1983 when we were talking about nukes, though. There were two James Bond movies that came out in 83. Both had nuke subplots. Hmm. Octopussy and Never Say Never Again, which is itself is a remake of Thunderball, both starring Sean Connery. Hmm. Anyway, just a fun fact. Yeah. Next movie I want to talk about is The Manhattan Project from 1986, named after the Manhattan Project nuclear program. Did you see this movie? No, I was four. So this one kind of takes a page out of the War Games handbook and that it's about a kid who somehow manages to steal plutonium from this lab mm-hmm. and builds a nuclear bomb for his science project at school. This is funny how a lot of these movies are like, you've got this thing that these adults have created, but then it gets into the hands of kids, and kids are the ones that basically like unleash it. Yeah. It's a weird little thing, you know? Yeah, it's like this smart kid fooled these adults and got plutonium. Right, but it got into the wrong hands, and now he like fucked it up. Right. It's a a weird niche of this. It it is. Yeah. This was a decent little film. I remember watching it, but it didn't do very well. And as I was looking it up, I realized it probably didn't do that great because this movie came out pretty soon after the Chernobyl nuclear incident in 1986. Mm, People just did not want to be reminded of that. Yeah, and this was just released two months after that. But oddly enough, I didn't talk about Chernobyl in my Toxic Waste episode. I talked about Three Mile Island and the Fujiyama fucking thing, but I didn't talk about Chernobyl at all. And just to talk about that, there has been some games and movies based off the Chernobyl disaster. So Mm -hmm. there's a whole game series called Stalker that were based around Chernobyl. And then there's a movie, I don't know if you saw this, Chernobyl Diaries from mm-hmm. 2012 and it's about, oh I remember this it's, it's like a horror a found movie fo- yeah it's like yeah. a found footage movie yeah. and no, I these, did see this yeah these tourists yeah. get a tour guide through the ruins and town near Chernobyl and some weird mutant shit yeah happened. no more found footage movies can we be <laughs> done with those please yeah I'm over that. My next movie I want to talk about, though, and I have to talk about this movie, is Superman Ford: The Quest for Peace from 1987. <laughs> Did you ever see this movie? No, I saw the first one and maybe the second one, but that was it. Yeah, so this one, it's the last outing of Christopher Reeves and this character, and it's pretty much the, the one that killed it for 20-something years before you know they rebooted it a couple times. But in this film, Superman's trying to rid the Earth of all nuclear weapons, so it's a nuke-based storyline. And the, you know how he does it? <laughs> He gets them all and throws them in this huge net in space, swings the net into the sun. Mm. Like he he pulls them all out of the air. I guess they're launching them and he steals them because I guess there's a conflict and their U.S. and Russia is about to nuke each other. He snags them all, throws them in a net, swings it into the sun. But anyway, what happens after? So that's not the climax of the movie. That's earlier on. What happens is later on the movie, Lex Luthor, through a series of events, I think he steals some of Superman's hair and puts radiation on it, creates Nuclear Man to fight Superman. Nuclear Man. Yeah. So Nuclear Man beats the shit out of Superman because he always has to lose a fight at the beginning. Right. And then Superman comes back 
and kills him, you know, with a ship mast. I'm oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Jaws of Revenge, but <laughs> it's the same movie in that they're the fourth one that killed the franchise and they came out the same year. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's, yeah. Interesting. This movie is fucking terrible. Tough year for sequels, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tough year for fourths in a film franchise. Got a lot of Fs. But yeah, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace mm. was about Nuclear Man. And uh, it did create world peace. In case you didn't know that. The greatest hope against the threat of nuclear war is Superman. I'm going to do what our governments have been unwilling or unable to do. Effective immediately, I'm going to rid our planet of all nuclear weapons. Superman 4, his most important adventure, the quest for peace. The next movie I want to talk about, and I know you like this movie, and this will help me close out the 80s, is Miracle Mile from 1988. Oh, I love this one. Yeah. yeah, and I knew you would love this one. You want to talk about it? Yeah. At Miracle Mile was actually filmed relatively close to my uh, apartment, too, just kind of down the street. Right around the La Brea Tar Pits is where it opens and closes. Yep. And the whole movie is about, let me see if I can remember, he catches a call on a payphone, and he realizes that the world is about to end because of some nuclear thing that you're about to tell us. Right. And then he spends the rest of the movie trying to find this girl that he just met he's not really trying to save the world at all he's really just trying to escape just trying to get get out of there yeah get um, the girl and get out of there but he doesn't no they don't they yeah. don't make it out they you die, know they die at the end and i love that yeah you know it starts out like a meet cute then the call happens and it becomes like a race against time we got to get away from the city yeah. before it explodes it, looks, it seems like it's gonna be a rom-com and then it yeah. is not yeah no it, but it, it is t- kind of a comedy it's got funny moments yeah. in it. Yeah, it's definitely a comic thriller that has a bleak ending. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's worth checking out. I mean, it is still very 80s, but it holds up well. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah it's really, really good. So wrapping up the 80s with this movie, something else kind of changed at the end of the 80s, which is that though the wall fell in mm-hmm. Berlin and the Soviet Union crumbled, our big fear of Armageddon seemed to go away with it, at right. least for a while. And a good example of that mindset is mentioned in the movie Terminator 2 from 1991. Mm. So I didn't mention Terminator because, again, it takes place in present day being 84, the original Terminator. But the flashbacks are already in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, Nukes are the cause, but they're not in the movie. But there's a line in the movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is talking to Edward Furlong's character about what happened, how Skynet launched nukes. And he tells them that Skynet shoots nukes over into Russia, whose nukes are also controlled by a supercomputer, so that they'll shoot back. And Edward Furlong's like, but aren't they our friends now? Like, talk about the Russians. Mm -hmm. Skynet fights back. Yes, it launches its missiles against the targets in Russia. Why attack Russia? Aren't they our friends now? Because Skynet knows that the Russian counterattack will eliminate its enemies over here. Jesus. So that was kind of the prevailing mindset in, in movies, but I think in people's minds. And that's where you started seeing a transition into what I was talking about at the beginning with my three types of nuke movies, where you start seeing nukes used for good. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, starting in the 90s. The first example of that I want to talk about is Stargate from 1994. Oh, boy. Starring Kurt Russell, James Spader, and Jay Davidson as Ra, the Egyptian alien. I saw this in the theater on opening night. Yeah. I don't remember it anything about this movie <laughs> it was a bomb too no it, no no this thing was a hit stargate was stargate made hit? money movie was terrible <laughs> i didn't say it was good but it made movie. money <laughs> so this is a quick plot to help you remember it since you forgot mm-hmm, the whole fucking nothing, thing yeah the plot centers on the premise of a stargate this ancient ring thing that's dug up in egypt james spader is a, a nerdy scientist 
figures out how to open it. They open it. It transports Kurt Russell, military guys, James Spader over to the other side of the universe into a desert planet that's visited by Ra, who is Jay Davidson in a huge pyramid ship that I guess is credited for starting humanity all over the universe, like started life on Earth somehow. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Kurt Russell, of course, had brought up a small nuke with him because all the military people do that when they explore new worlds. He had one with him. He was trying to blow up Jay Davidson's ship with it. Jay Davidson was like, I found your nuke. I'm going to make it even more powerful and blow up Earth because fuck you people. Mm -hmm. But then they managed to blow him up at the end. So nukes saved the day in Stargate. And killed Jay Davidson. And killed Jay yeah. Davidson. And and his film career, too. And which, his, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I don't think he minded. So that film was directed and co-written by Roland Emmerich, whose next movie, you'll remember, is Independence Day of 1996, which you and I watched together in the theater in Gloucester. Did we? Yes. Wow. Yeah, we watched it's that movie. It's a good movie. It's I fun. mean, it's it's a good movie, I guess. But again, it's an alien invasion movie. There's yeah. these huge spaceships that go over every major city in the world and blow shit up. And then at the end, spoiler for about 30-year-old movie, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum fly an alien ship into the mothership, and they upload a computer virus, but they also have a nuke on board, and they launch that, escape, and blow up the alien ship oh, with a nuke. Right, right, So right. same plot point from the same director in a different movie of using a nuke to blow up aliens. Yeah. Independence Day is a better movie than Stargate. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It, it really is. So continue on in the, in the 90s, though, you had these Race Against Time thrillers come back, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen nukes used for good. Now it's like we've got to stop the bomb from blowing up. But you'll see slight changes in how they pan out in these movies. Like my first example is Broken Arrow from 1996. Yeah. John Woo movie starring Christian Slater and John Travolta. And the two of them are assigned to a secret exercise flying a stealth bomber with nukes on it. And the plane crashes being a, that's what a broken arrow is, a plane carrying a nuke that mm-hmm. crashes. John Travolta has a plan to steal the nukes and use them to blackmail the U.S. government with the threat of detonating the warhead in a populated area. And, of course, Slater tries to stop him. And then there's a scene where they drop one of the nukes down a, a mine shaft and it blows up and causes kind of like a cave-in sort of thing. And then, of course, they stop the other one from blowing up. And you'll see that coming up. They'll show a nuke exploding like, oh, no, one actually went off. We better stop the other one before it's in a populated area or something like that. That comes up again. So Broken Arrow is the first one. The next one that I notice is uh, The Peacemaker from 1997. Did you ever see this? I remember this, but I didn't see it. Yeah. So this one is starring George Clooney and Nicole Kidman. And this film is about a U.S. Army colonel and a civilian. They have to track down these stolen nuclear weapons before they're used by terrorists. Fun fact about this movie is that the story was inspired by an article about nuclear weapons smuggling in the former USSR. So apparently after the Cold War ended and we weren't really worried about nation states nuking everybody, what they were worried about was that security procedures were so lax, someone could just come in there and steal them, mm-hmm. you know, like a kid could like steal. Like a kid, right. Could, yeah. yeah. But moving on, I want to talk about one more movie by action auteur Michael Bay called Armageddon from 1998, <laughs> starring Bruce Willis and Steve Buscemi. Now, this movie sucks. This movie sucks. Yeah, Armageddon's terrible. Armageddon's garbage. But the plot of that is they use nukes to blow a meteor in half so it doesn't hit Earth. So nukes save the day. I thought they drilled... They drilled holes so they could put nukes oh, in there in, in, in the there. core and then blow it in half, which right. they do. And that Aerosmith song plays a bunch. I like it. I mean, it's a fine song, but it was 
fucking everywhere. Yeah, they really sold out hard on that one. No, you said hard on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that same year also had the first remake of Gojira, mm-hmm. starring Matthew Broderick. I remember this, yeah. And you know how that turned out. Yeah, that was a stinker. But I watched a little bit of this Godzilla because I wanted to see if they showed the nuke blast that made... Godzilla, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And they do, but it's slightly different than the original one in that Godzilla isn't like a nondescript critter that grows big. Godzilla is actually an iguana that was in French Polynesia. The nuke blast hits it in the opening credits, and that's what mutates the creature into Godzilla. So Godzilla is actually an iguana in this movie. Okay. So moving on to the 2000s. In the year 2000, you would see some more Cold War stuff coming back up. On the beach, there was a remake in 2000. Yeah, you're shaking your head because it was a three-hour TV movie, and I think it's just better left forgotten the yeah, time. Yeah. Like, I think it's like garbage. And the second movie that came out that year was 13 Days starring Kevin Costner. And it was a dramatization of the Cuban Missile Crisis, as I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. It was trying to be Oscar bait, but it didn't win shit, and I don't think it made any money either. Kessner had a, a rough career after the 90s. Yeah, I mean, he's coming back around. I think he's got that TV show that's successful, but like, yeah, yeah it took a while. But yeah, this movie grossed $66 million on an $80 million budget. Yikes. It was a huge flop. And then the same year, Space Cowboys came out, another Cold War, but it's more action movie where a bunch of old people, Tommy Lee Jones, Clint Eastwood, Donald Sutherland, James Garner, they all go into space to fix a old Cold War nuclear satellite. Yeah. So it ties together the Star Wars defense initiative, like I mentioned before, and also kind of combines a little bit of Doctor Strangelove and that these... Nukes are going to malfunction and accidentally cause nuclear war, and so we have to stop them. So it combines all those elements into an action movie starring old people. Yeah, but that one bombed too, didn't it? I think it made some money. I didn't write how much it made, but I think it was enough of a success. Okay. I thought I just remember that it was like, oh my God, all of these guys are in the same movie, and then nobody went to go see it. But Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that, at least for a little bit in the early 2000s, there was this Cold War theme making a resurgence in some movies. But then a very real disaster happened. The terrorist attack on 9-11. Right, yeah. In 2001. And that, again, altered how we use nukes in film. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes back to that idea that terrorists are going to get nukes and use them in a populated area. Which, in real life, if you think about it, and people who are too young now who don't remember 9-11 or weren't even born then, like, we assumed anything was going to happen next. Like, it seemed plausible that someone could nuke a city considering mm-hmm. how they got away with flying planes in the buildings. Like, And you thought it was going to happen any day for years. Right. And so movies kind of capitalize on that. The first one I want to talk about is the Ben Affleck, Morgan Freeman thriller, Some of All Fears, from 2002. Did you see this? Mm-mm. It's a Tom Clancy, yeah. you know, Jack Ryan sequel. I saw like the first two Tom Clancy. Did he do The Firm and something else? Is that? No, it's, no, Tom Clancy was Hunt for Red October. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking of John Grisham. Yeah. No, Tom Clancy's military thrillers kind of things. Yeah, Hunt yeah, for Red October, Patriot seen, Games, I, stuff I like that. any yeah. of those, yeah. So this movie is about an Austrian neo-Nazi who plans to trigger a nuclear war between the United States and Russia so that he can establish a fascist super state in Europe. It's not a really good plan. Mm-hmm. When everything's irradiated, what kind of super state? It doesn't make sense. So after the scientists like build a secret nuclear weapon, it's detonated in Baltimore. Hmm. So there's a scene where there's a football game going on in Baltimore. I think, I don't know if the president or somebody important is there. They get him out and evacuate him, and then they nuke Baltimore. Uh Yeah, it's a stupid race against time. 
time movie, but it's one that, as I mentioned before, shows an actual nuke explosion, and it's like, we got to stop the other one going off, except this one's like in the middle of a city, so it's like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on, Some of All Fears was kind of the only example I had from the early 2000s, really. I mean, there's some nukes that show up in TV shows like 24. I think Jack Bauer's stopping a nuke every other fucking episode. And there are examples of what's called dirty bombs in some movies. So a dirty bomb is not a nuke. It's a regular explosive that has radiological material. The intent is to, like, disperse radioactive material around. But those aren't nukes, so I'm not going to talk about that shit. I get that. But just for shits and giggles, the movies that feature those types of plot devices are Dirty War, which I think was an HBO show back in the early 2000s, and then a movie called Right at Your Door, which was kind of about a dirty bomb that blew up in L.A., But anyway, fuck those movies because they're not nukes. So I am probably just going to scoot this thing along to the end of the decade into the 2020s. Right, right. But one thing to note as we go along, nukes show up in a variety of ways, but they're not really the main focus of the film or the main plot of the film. They're more like plot devices and they figure into a, a larger plot, but it's not really about the nukes themselves. For instance, I mentioned before an atomic kid with the like the fake nuclear town. Mm-hmm. That same basic plot point shows up at the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I saw that. Which is basically the uh, Jaws 4 of Indiana Jones franchise. Yeah. because it's not good. But Indiana Jones, through a series of events, ends up in one of those nuclear testing towns, hides in a refrigerator, and the blast sort of launches him away. And then uh, he stands up, he's silhouetted against the nuke, you know. so embarrassing. I like this movie. That's not good. I know. But it's played for symbolism, you know, that Indiana Jones is now in the atomic age. I got another one coming out. Oh, I know. I know. Maybe they'll get nuked in that one as well. Then there's uh, the Avengers movie, the first Avengers movie. From and I know you don't watch these superhero movies. And, I'm waiting them out. Yeah, I'm waiting this whole era <laughs> out. But if you remember, or for our listeners who may remember, in the first Avengers movie, there's this alien invasion in New York, and the military is going to nuke New York to stop the aliens. And they launch a missile, but Iron Man grabs the missile takes it into like the little dimensional hole in the atmosphere and launches it at the aliens and blows up J.J. Davidson or whatever. You know, Uh it's the same plot as fucking Stargate. And they they blows them up with a nuke. (laughs) I know everybody loves these movies, but even when you're describing them, I'm just like, who the fuck cares about any of this shit? (laughs) But that's what I mean. That's how nukes have been played in, in these, especially in these action movies where they're either the solution or it's a race against time. I mean, that's it. Okay, I'm going to start winding this thing down, but before we get to the end, I want to talk about a couple of movies that aren't nuke movies, but have a couple of plot points that involve nukes, probably even movies you never thought or remembered had a nuke subplot. For instance, Back to the Future, Doc Brown gets plutonium because Libyan terrorists, which Libyans were the big bad guys in the 80s, gave him plutonium to build them a bomb, and he gave them a fake bomb, and that's Mm -hmm. why they come after him. Then there's Weird Science. Where, if you remember, they were trying to recreate another Kelly LeBrock, but fucked up and ended up creating a nuke instead. So there was a nuke sitting in Wyatt's bedroom. Yeah. Then there's Return of the Living Dead. I don't know if you remember this movie, but it was a zombie movie back in the mid-80s. And it's kind of a cult favorite now. But at the end of that movie, spoiler, the government comes in and nukes the whole town to get rid of the zombie menace. That same plot point kind of happens 20 years later in Alien vs. Predator Requiem, which is a garbage movie. But... The ending of that movie also has the government come in and nuke the town to stop the aliens from spreading. 
And speaking of aliens, in the movie Aliens, that was directed by James Cameron, if you'll remember, they talk about nuking the site from orbit, which they never really do, but the site does get nuked because there's an atmosphere processor that overheats or whatever happens to it, and that explodes at the end, and they're basically a race against time to fly away from what is essentially a nuclear explosion. And then another Jim Cameron movie, True Lies, I don't know if you remember that movie, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis, and the whole subplot of that was uh, these terrorists getting a hold of a nuke and they were going to blow up the Florida Keys or some shit. So, I saw that movie in that yeah, theater. Yeah. So yeah, nukes all around. And then a couple of honorable mentions. They're kind of stretching my premise a little bit, but you'll see why I talk about them. And the first one is Class of Nukem High. Not a nuke in it. It's a toxic waste movie, but right. it's in it's in the title. Yeah. So I had to just at least mention it. And then the last film I want to mention is this really crappy South African movie called Nuki mm-hmm. from 1987. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with nukes. It's an AT ripoff, or maybe probably more of a Mac and Me ripoff. But the plot concerns alien Nuki who crash lands on Earth and seeks help from two children to find his brother Miko. So Miko and Nuki. I might watch this. Um, <laughs> I love that Mac and Me exists. So oddly enough, the other reason I bring this up is because Nuki will show up in a, another episode of mine. Oh, good. So so yep. Nuki will return. I like him already. Okay, so now we're wrapping this up. Now we're getting to the end. You can see at this point in movies where the political threat up to this point of nuclear devastation has been pretty much long forgotten. And this done, it wasn't in people's minds like it certainly was in mine when I was a kid in the 80s thinking that we we're going to have a nuclear war at any minute. But again, times change because now we have a war in Ukraine with Russia. And Russia's getting their ass handed to them. And, you know, one of the fears now is that they're going to use tactical nukes to take over Ukraine. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. So I would say probably now more than in the last 30 years, are we closer to having not necessarily nuclear holocaust, but certainly having nukes be used for the first time in 80 years? Yeah. And I think with that, you're starting to see movies that are addressing that, which brings me to my most recent movie, Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan, that's coming out this summer. Yeah. And it's basically, from what I could tell, a, a biopic on Robert Oppenheimer, where they go through the whole process of the Trinity test, developing the nuke, testing the nuke, and then I guess dropping it on Hiroshima. Right. But it's but it's got to be an action movie, right? Because why else would Christopher Nolan make this movie? Well, I'm sure it's going to be very stylized and a, yeah. a lot of drama to, to and long, and long <laughs> to build up the action. I have no doubt about that. But it's interesting that we kind of go full circle. So now we're basically back to the beginning or the end, which is the original first nuke movie about Oppenheimer and the Trinity Test and the Manhattan Project mm-hmm. back in 1947. Yeah. Now we're in 2023 and it's coming back around again. Looking back at all the movies I discussed, the cinematic trends uh, we've had throughout almost 80 years since the atomic bomb, I think it's really interesting how the use of nukes in films changed to reflect the current political climate of the time. At the end of the war, when we were first introduced to this power, we didn't really understand the long-term effects of radiation and the sheer scale of destruction it would pose. Nukes, as a catalyst in early monster movies, when it came to radiation, making monsters grow to massive sizes and thinking, of course it can do that, because we didn't know. We didn't fucking Mm -hmm. know. You know, as time went by, as the Cold War escalated, as we learned more, then you started seeing more movies like On the Beach, Failsafe, and films that like dealt with this seriously because we were learning that this is a serious problem and that there are stakes here. And this only got darker as the decades went on with, I think, is your favorite era of nuke films, which is the 80s, because you've got the day after, Threads, Testament, these really bleak, realistic accounts of the war and what happens after. 
these films, while I think were important, were not necessarily entertainment so much as they played like public service announcements or wake up calls to the threats of nuclear annihilation more so than actual entertainment. These weren't fun films, although you'll probably have fun watching them. But that wasn't really their purpose. You know, I feel like they were created to try to change policy, which day after did. But as soon as the Cold War ended, the nukes became just another plot point, just another explosive device to stop before innocents are killed or to stop the bad guys or to use to stop bad guys. You know, things like the Avengers and fucking Independence Day, Armageddon, Stargate, you know, nukes are good and we were able to use them to stop the bad guys. And even after 9-11 where it seemed probable that a a terrorist organization could get them and use them, they're still part of a a race against time type of plot. Yeah. But now it's 2023 and again, the real world is echoing a lot of the events of the Cold War and with Christopher Nolan examining the start of of all this with Oppenheimer, maybe it's the beginning of cinema taking another cold hard look at a force that can wipe us out in the blink of an eye. That's my episode. Yeah, good. That was fun. (laughs) Because I love death and destruction. And also, I paid more attention to that than I paid attention to anything else that was ever said about the Cold War or any type of bombing of, do you say Hiroshima or Hiroshima? Yeah. Hiroshima. Hiroshima. What do you say? I say Hiroshima. I don't know. Either one. Pick one. I'll I'll say Hiroshima. So it'll be different. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a lot to watch now. Yeah, I do. So I'm excited to hear your uh, feedback on that and yours too listeners so thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with another episode thanks everyone bye thanks for listening to slums of film history you can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today and also be sure to check us out on facebook and twitter where we share a lot of additional content and if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on itunes we'd love to hear from you and as always please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out we're not professionals just two friends that love gross movies Octopussy and Never Say Never Again, hmm. which is itself is a remake of Thunderball, both starring John Connery, which is also a nuke theme. It's like the bad guys have a nuke and they want to blow Sean it up. Connery. And Although never I'm sure his brother John Connery is cool too. <laughs> See, I right, let's try this again. Both starring both starring, John Connery. Both starring John, See Sean Connery's brother John Connery. <laughs> God damn it. Both starring Sean Connery brother of John Connery. <laughs> <laughs>